Anyway, you guys getting anything out of this early church fathers? Okay, this will be the last week because I'm just going to give you some resources where you can go tonight, etc. Um, but uh, it's awesome, guys. It's radical how good he is and how good the gospel actually is if you go back to the founding fathers. So I'm going to give you a lot of stuff tonight out of the founding fathers' mouths, so it's not my interpretation. Is that, is that okay? So you can do what you want with it. Um, but I think when you start reading it and listening to it, you go, it's beautiful. And so um, here's the main thing that, you know, Stephen Melton, some of you guys were at our, our house fellowship last time. This is the biggie. It's union or separation because all of our religious doctrines come out of this idea that we're separated, that God's angry and too holy to look at sin and separated from us. And so all religion is us trying to get back where the truth was is we've always been in, through, and withheld by Jesus Christ. He created us and holds the universe together, every atom of the universe. And uh, so there's this, the lie of separation was the original lie. And then once you get that, that all were in Adam, all were in Christ, there's nobody separated from him ever, because it's an impossibility. If you even think about it logically a little bit, if I'm a created being and uh, he created me, how do I have life outside of him unless he's already in, through, and with me because he's the only life of the universe? So somehow we think we're a God out, you know, like here I am created over here and God's over here wholly unable to look at me, and, uh, but I'm still able to sustain myself without him in me. Isn't that weird? It's just impossible when you actually start thinking about it. And so anyway, once you get this part, now the gospel starts to make sense to you and everything starts to go. So let's just, let's go through this. So um, let's, let's hit that first slide here real quick. Way back to the beginning, because I've been trying to show you this, is if you get back to Adam and Eve, let's just read this. So there were two trees, right? I know this is basic, but all scripture starts to make sense. There's two trees. One was the tree of life and one was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from the wrong one, what happens? You die. That's it. There's no warning of eternal torture. You're going to be burning like a rotisserie ever. Right? There's just not. And then the last enemy that's going to be destroyed is what? Death. He's preserved a way to the, if you keep going into Genesis 3, it says he preserved a way to the tree of life. And you're going to meet me on the east end of the gate between the cherubim, the angels, and the framing fire, which is a picture of the mercy seat, which is Jesus Christ, right? So Genesis 3, 8, and they, this, uh, and they heard the voice of the Lord God, this was after they ate, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Did God pursue them? Yes. Why did they, why did they separate themselves from God, is what it said. Fear. That was the original lie, right? They, they started to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, so they had a conscience. They knew that we're not that good. We're dirt piles at the end of the day. He created us from dirt and breathed his life into us. And then somehow we're going to do everything right. It's just, it's, the decks are stacked against us. It's not even a possibility. And so um, they ate from the wrong tree. They thought God was going to deal with them not on unconditional love, but they were going to, based on what? How good or evil they were, right? And if we still have that idea that he's going to judge us based on us, what happens? <laughs> that's right you said it I didn't we're in trouble she said the s word but uh I'm trying to clean up my mouth a little bit because it's I'm farm kid so I farm talk sometimes Martha so anyway but she said I'm screwed and if we're honest it's true right the scripture says we all see dimly but then we're going to see him face to face and the spirit transforms us into the same image 
Isn't that beautiful? So none of us can see them clearly yet. But uh, anyway, it, so they, Adam and Eve ate from the wrong tree, and they perceived that God was mad at them. They withdrew themselves from God. Were they ever outside of God? Never. So there's one tree of union, Jesus Christ. Hey, it's life and life more abundantly, and I'm in through and withheld by him, and he's forgiven me, and there's nothing I can do to change that unbreakable covenant. That gives us what? Unconditional love, it's security. It's the, it's the new covenant where he says, I want to give you assurance. But boy, almost every message I've heard all growing up was somehow related to my faith. Um, uh, oh, I just, guys, this is, a, this is an interesting one. Is, um, it's hard for us to get, especially since we grew up in church for so much, but does God's unconditional favor, his free grace, his lavish grace ever change because we committed something wrong, that we did a sin? No. That's what's amazing. It's unending. It's just, it continues to flow because I, especially you business guys, I hear this a lot of times, especially in Colorado Springs because they all get together. Hey, we're the remnant and we're all this stuff and we're all that in a bag of chips and we're going to advance the kingdom. I go, it's weird because it's a spiritual kingdom, but anyway, advance on, go, right? Uh, good luck. And they they're doing all this stuff, and they're like, you know what? If God knows how we're going to spend the money, then he'll give it to us. I go, that's absolutely wrong, guys. That's absolutely wrong. But I believed that at one time, because I, 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 like, I was operating from the good, bad tree. Have you ever seen anybody radically blessed that do the wrong thing with money? <laughs> I don't, if they even used half their brain, they would realize that was just a wrong statement. But I think it's this self-righteousness where they go, I'm going to do good things with the money. He goes, his favor doesn't stop, guys. It's unending. It's just he lavishes it on people. And so the only thing that stops his favor is you thinking he stops his favor. It's your own heart that won't allow you to receive all these amazing things. Does that make sense to you guys? So he radically blesses. He, all the promises are yes and amen in him. They're not conditional. That's really good if you understand that. That's really good for you and I. So anyway, so the tree of the knowledge of good and evil produces fear. The, the other tree, Jesus Christ, when you know you're in perfect covenant, that everything he has, we're joint heirs of Jesus Christ. And he, we don't even have to fear death. He's conquered sin and death at the end. What happens? Jesus was the first fruit. We get to see what, what's going to happen to us when we pass out of this body. Guess what? Then we're going to see him face to face and we're going to have a glorified body. Isn't that beautiful? He's conquered sin and death. It can't get any, this is the worst it's ever going to get. Amen? And you can still have heaven on earth, which is pretty amazing. You can, it's really just how much of this covenant do we see, not build your faith and pray in tongues long enough till you get it. And that's just, just, just nonsense to me. So anyway, because um, you know what, I always struggle with that because I, I would look at friends of mine that go, man, they're, they're radically blessed and they don't do anything that I was being taught right now. They just go live life. I'm like, man, that sounds easier, doesn't it? Than having to do all these things. And the truth is, they just, they expect, somehow they just kind of know. They go, hey, God's good and he loves me and it's all gonna work out. And I'm like, oh, that's very good, actually. It's actually accurate. So anyway, so let's go to this next slide. Does this make sense to you? Hey, the, the wrong tree produces fear. And 1 John 4 says, listen, if you still have fear and you think you're gonna be judged, you're not perfected in love. Because that's not who I am. I'm the unconditional loving father, Right? So the original church fathers, I'll tell you, taught union. They never taught separation. We kind of covered that. And I'll read some things to you about Augustine and when it came in, etc. So um, here's what the church fathers taught. John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you for how long? Ever. So 
Was he too holy to look at us? And if we sinned, would, would he remove himself? No, never, never. This is what they're trying to, even the apostles, this is what they're trying to teach, that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's a good father. He's a good husband. He'll never leave. He was trying to give us assurance over and over and over. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with, with you and shall be where? In you. He's not this separated deity on a mountain that we have to somehow pray, confess, get back into. Does that make sense? That's just religious works, guys. You'll get into it. So verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Is that cool? I've heard this a lot. I found him. You're the lost sheep, guys. <laughs> you can't find anything. I've told you that. He had to find you, right? So it's a daily thing in our house. I can't find this. I can't find that. And so, uh, ladies, we know it's always your fault, right? I was like, honey, where's this? She's like, how would I know? Because like, you're my wife. You're supposed to know all these things. So, and you guys do that? You think the, the wife knows where everything is? I do every now and then. So, uh, he will not leave us comfortless. He will come to you. And that day you shall know that I'm in the Father and ye in me and I in you. Isn't that beautiful? We're in this union with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's union, not separation. But for 2,000 years, most of the church has heard I'm separated from God because of my sin and I've got to get back into him. And so somehow I gave myself birth. That's always the amazing one to me. I'm like, the arrogance of that is just amazing to me. Yeah, I accepted Christ and I gave birth to myself. And I just tell people, give birth again. I've never seen anybody give birth to themselves ever. I'd like to see it again. I remember I always struggled with that, Barb, because we would always ask, what day were you saved? And honestly, guys, you can ask my wife, I would always go, I have no idea. Because I just thought I was saved my whole life. I really did. I didn't know how. And they're like, well, if you don't know the day you're saved, you're probably not saved. I'm like, that's it. Screw it. <laughs> I guess I don't know when I'm saved. I was actually closer to the truth than they were, right? Before the foundation of the world, I was found where? In him. It's beautiful. So anyway, he will not leave us comfortless. He will come to you. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. We got to get this union thing. And if you've got the, the guy who lavishes his favor, lavishes his blessing, lavishes his light, lavishes his healing, dwelling in you, where do we look for the promises? Right here in our heart. That's why it says guard your heart with all diligence because out of that thing. So don't ever believe the lie that you're separated, that you're unworthy to be blessed, that you're, uh, because you're sinning or doing something wrong in your mind, that he, he's, you're dirty, he can't look at you. Um, all of that's the lie. All of that's the lie. It produces fear and separation. The truth is you're never separated, but it produces that in our hearts if we think that we're too dirty, not holy enough to be seen, etc. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? So when you're messing up, the worst is when you go, you know what, Lord, I need your grace more than ever right now. Thank God that I'm still righteous as a gift, not because of my works. And you're lavishly pouring out your blessings on me, even though I'm messing this thing up right now. That starts to heal your heart. Does it not? Some of you guys have gone through that? And uh, it's kind of funny. It's, it's, a lot of the guys that have been in my office the last few weeks, I go, man, I get thrown out of every other elders meeting, but it works. See, the gospel works. So that's what I'm after. I'm not after stirring this stuff up. But that's not what it is, but it needs to be stirred up because I think the 99% of the church body still has this weirdness that they're separated from God and their behavior somehow blesses them or doesn't bless them. And, and uh, you have to start from, I'm completing Christ, nothing lacking. That's where we start, right? So how can you grow from that? 
you're already complete. You can't grow any further. You're complete. Isn't that amazing? If we're growing, that, to me, that mentally, because I hear this a lot in the church body, I go, that just means you're uh, getting busy with works. And you'll do it for a couple years, then you'll give it the finger and go, I'm done with this thing. Because uh, you get tired. How many of you have ever gotten tired? I have. And I just go, I'm done with this deal. Because it's not, and then you realize, like, wait a minute, it was all yes and amen. Man, I'm not in this covenant. I'm, I, I don't have a part to play. I just have a part to go, thank you, Lord. I'm, all this stuff is real for me already. That's the truth, okay? All right, so this next slide. Um, I'm just going to go through this quickly again because this is foundational, I think, about this union and separation. Colossians 1.13. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, the supremacy of the Son of God. Now, um, the dominion of darkness... The enemy's only had what, ever? Deception and lies. He's never had power. Now, charismatics, a word of faith, give him a ton of power. Um, but he's never had any. All he had was a lie. He was a deceiver from the beginning. Right? And so this whole weird thing that we get taught in church, like Adam committed high treason and gave him the keys. I go, no, he was lying. He, he didn't have any authority or keys, ever. Right? He's a liar. We just couldn't see the truth that we're already in Christ. And I just, I've, I've, I asked so many theologians and pastors, like, how, how did he commit high treason? And, well, because, uh, and the, the answer is, there's not anywhere in Scripture they were just taught that. Weird, right? The truth was, you were never separated from Christ, ever. He's, you were in, through, and withheld by him. You were always in union. So, anyway. So, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over how much of the creation? All creation. Isn't that weird? It says cosmos in the Greek. So for in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. Meaning that all creation is in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You guys get that, right? Keep tearing this thing off my head. Um, does that make sense, guys? We were never separated. We're in and through and withheld by him. Isn't that wild? And in fact, I was just watching this clip. It was, uh, it was interesting when you start watching these. I, I like to watch some of these other religions and stuff, Buddhism and Hinduism. And it, it's just fascinating for me what they believe. And it's really kind of the fundamentalist Christians and the fundamentalist Muslims who believe we're separated from God. Everybody else believes that. They, they, they call it all these weird new agey things and people get nervous. I go, I just, I know the truth, so I like watching it to see what they, I'm like, wow, they're really close actually. They're really close because they believe, they believe this. In fact, I was just watching this, this uh, Buddhist guy, and he's like, uh, um, you, gotta, you, you guys have heard, don't think I'm a new age yet. That's not what I am. But it's fascinating for me to watch these guys because they go, he, God's connecting to everybody. You guys all that, right? Well, we're all one and this peace, love, and happiness. That's not what I'm talking about. But they get it. They go, the thing that makes the world go round when God answers our prayer is because his love and compassion is surrounding the universe. I was like, wow, that is actually really good. I hope some Christians get that someday. Because um, that's real. That's the truth, right? And if you, if you, ever, if you want a good series on this whole thing, go, go look at Dr. Bruce Wachope, W-A-U-C-H-O-P-E. I'll spell it again. Dr. Bruce Wachope, W-A-U-C-H-O-P-E. I know Stephen Melton, some of you guys have watched a lot of him. Um, he does a, a really like three hours of this where fundamentalist Christians and fundamentalist Muslims are really close together and, because they both believe the lie of separation and out of Aristotle and Plato the Greek myths and uh, 
the church went one way and the, the, the Muslim community said, yeah, that looks good. We believe in Plato and Aristotle too. And they took that. And so that's why fundamentalist Christians and fundamentalist Muslims look alike. They both hate each other and they're both trying to get each other into their guy. The truth is they're all are in him from the foundation of the world. Do they know it? No, that's why we share the gospel, right? So, because there's only one way, guys. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. And, you know, some people are like, you're making light of sin. I go, no way. I, I, I think you've got the big, God, the big man, little God syndrome, and I'm just making a bigger deal about Jesus, to be honest with you. Because they believe all were in Adam, but there's no way all were in Christ. I go, so Adam was more powerful than God? So Adam got everybody to die, but Jesus can't get everybody to live, is what Scripture says? I said, I think you're making a bigger deal about Adam than Jesus. And somehow, you, you, were, you had more wisdom and power, and, and even though you see dimly, you made a better decision than me because you jumped into him. So something created could get the creator to come in. It's actually bizarre when we start thinking about everything we've been taught. It's like, Nicodemus, unless I birth you, this ain't going to work. Because with men, this is impossible. With me, because I'm in and through and withhold everything. If I die and I conquered death, and all of you rose with me, when were you born again? He birthed you. He was the firstborn over all, is what it says. Does that make sense? So anyway, uh, so everything's in and through and withhold him. All right, this next slide. So let's get into these founding fathers. I, and guys, don't, don't shoot the messenger here. I'm just going to read what they wrote. And it'll stir you up, honestly. So I'm going to read a bunch of these texts. So St. Gregory of Nyssa, he was... Uh, the second council of bishops, they call it the ecumenical council, but it's the second council of bishops which Constantine ordered, and St. Gregory of Nanzanias was the president, and I'll read some of his stuff too, but St. Gregory of Nyssa was one of the Cappadocian fathers, really influential in the Nicene Creed. So here's what he wrote. <clears throat> For it is evident that God will in truth be all in all when there shall be no vile in existence, when every created being is at harmony with itself. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord when every creature shall have been made one body. Oops, my E honestly doesn't work very well on my Mac. So sometimes I miss E's. So, uh, wherefore, that at the same time, liberty of free will should be left to nature and yet the evil be purged away. This is God's wisdom. I'm going to give you free will, but ultimately I'm going to achieve my will. It's really fascinating to me. So I said I wouldn't do that, but I was going to read the wisdom of God discovered this plan to suffer or allow man to do what he would that having tasted the evil which he desired and learning by experience for what wretchedness he had bartered away the blessing he had he might of his own will hasten back with desire to the first blessedness either being purged in this life through prayer and discipline or after departure hence through the furnace of a cleansing fire. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So I'm just going to read a couple more. So I'm going to read you a little bit uh, um, I didn't want to type, actually, I started typing that one. I go, I want to type all these. I'm just going to read them. Okay. So, all right, Clement of Alexandria. And you can go look up all these guys. There's Arrhenius and Clement and Athanasius. I'm just going to read some of these. So here's Clement of Alexandria, 190 AD. He was the head of the catechetical, catechism for all of us, the catechetical school. Uh, <clears throat> quote, all men are Christ's. pretty good, right? Some by knowing him, the rest not yet. He is the Savior, not of some, and the rest not. He is actually Savior of all. For how is he Lord and Savior if he is not Lord and Savior of all? It's a rhetorical question. But he is indeed Savior of those who believe. While of those who do not believe, he is Lord until having become able to confess him, 
they obtain through him the benefit appropriate and suitable to their case. He, by the Father's will, directs the salvation for all, for all things have been ordered, both universally and in part, by the Lord of the universe, with a view to the salvation of the universe, but needful correction by the goodness of the great overseeing judge, through, <clears throat> by means of the attendant angels, through various prior judgments, through the final judgment, compels even those who have become still more callous to repent. All right? So, uh, let's read Athanasius. He was part of the, where the Nicene Creed, very influential in the second bishop's council as well. And so you guys got to understand, these guys, like uh, Polycarp, most people believe like he was discipled by John of the Bible. And uh, these guys were the closest to the apostles and the writers of the Bible. Isn't that interesting? So, and we, I'll, I'll read where Augustine, this whole idea of separation where hell became torture versus a cleansing fire came after about four or 500 AD. It was not even allowed in the church documents for the first four or 500 years. It was always, it says actually this, all know me, all are gonna confess, though some through the final judgment compels even those who have become still more callous to repent. All right, here's Athanasius, called the great father of orthodoxy, the bishop of Alexandria, Egypt. Quote, while the devil thought to kill one, he is deprived of all cast out Hades. And sitting by the gates, see all the fettered beings led forth by the courage of the Savior, unquote. Isn't that cool? Because they believe that, hey, Christ went down to hell, the Hades, and preached to the dead, right? And he conquered, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's got the gates of sin and death. And it says he, lay, he led the dead, captivity captive, as a train. All the dead that were there before him, he had to be the first fruits. Does that make sense? So at his resurrection, you guys see that. I think it's in Matthew. There's one of the, it's just in one of the synoptic gospels where there were 500 dead people cruising around the streets. Weird, huh? It's pretty interesting, isn't it? Uh, here's Gregory of Nazianzen. He's the, he was the president of the Second Ecumenical Council, or the Second Bishops' Council. So what this was, guys, is Constantine had invited all the bishops of the known Christian world to come. And uh, there's various, I've been reading, there's various amounts, but there, most people think there were two to 300 bishops, and he was the president of this, okay? So here's what he believed. It would be like this, is, um, let's just take politics, to, even though I hate talking about politics here, but what's a really sticky issue in politics right now? Just give me one, I don't care. What? Guns, how about that one? Guns? So it would be like this, it would be... Um, if, if I had 200 anti-NRA guys, would I pick uh, Dave Robbins to be the president? <laughs> no, right? Because why? Because his views very differ from the anti-NRA guys. Does that make sense? Is that fair? Yeah, yeah if, I, if I was an anti-gun guy, I would not pick you. I'm just trying to give you an illustration. You guys get this, right? So, I think what's interesting is we had guns all... Guys, I grew up in Iowa. We, we would... Before practice, we'd jump in the car, our shotguns loaded, go shoot ducks off the pond and come back, and nobody shot each other. It's a fascinating deal. So, you too, Sulin, right? Yeah? Loaded. Yeah, because you've got to swat some of these ducks, so you've got to jump out of your car real quick and, and go. Because you might shoot them on somebody else's property and have to run in there. I never did that, but I saw my friends sometimes do it. So... <laughs> Hey, it was all in good fun. Um, all right, so here's Gregory of Nanzianzen. Quote, until he loosed by his blood all who groan under Tartarian chains. Tartarus was a Greek mythology 
uh, hell, um, help me out. What, in Greek mythology, that's where the Spartans were, right? In Tart- Tartar- Tartarus, whatever. Is that where they were? That's where they put their enemies they, when they killed them. I don't remember. I'm not a big Greek mythology guy, but Tartarus is, is translated as hell, even though it's not. It's, it's Tartarus. So until he loosed by his blood all who groan under Tartarian chains, today salvation has been brought to the universe to whoever, to whosoever is visible and whatsoever is invisible. Today the gates of Hades are thrown wide open, end quote. And then quotes again, Adam received death as a gain. This is really interesting. Barbara and I were talking about this. This, is, this one kind of got me going like, wow, okay, I get, I get Adam and Eve now. Adam receives death as a gain. Because we think um, God, you know, he designed us so we would never die. I've changed my view a little bit on that as I'm reading these early fathers. What they believed was death was our entrance into life and it was God's way of going, I don't want you to be under man's toil and work for six days. Your seventh day of creation, really all of the creation story, the narrative, all the Old Testament stories were all really a picture of us. Where for six days we're going to toil, etc., but on the seventh day he sat down and rested because we were complete. It's actually beautiful now that I'm kind of understanding this more. So anyway, so here's what he believed. Adam received death as a gain and thereby cutting off sin, that evil should not be immortal. And so the vengeance turns out to be a kindness. For thus I am of the opinion that it is God that punishes. He was the president of the second bishop's council. Hey, death was his, uh, death and wrath was his mercy. So we didn't have to toil our whole life. He would complete us in perfection. Interesting way to look at it. He was the president, right? Um... Jerome, you guys have heard me talk about Jerome. Jerome translated, he, was, he actually, by his own admission, he said, you know, I, I really suck at Greek, but I, I translated um, uh, a Latin Vulgate from a really bad Greek to Latin translation, and he took that, that Latin Vulgate, and translated it into the King James. But most of you guys, like I was taught, the King James is the book, man, right? King James is more true than Jesus. You know how you were taught, most of you guys? You were taught the inerrancy of the Bible, weren't you? There's not one thing wrong in it. Wait, isn't that what you're all taught? It was interesting that, that even the Old Covenant, they had to be sprinkled by the blood because the Jews never thought it was perfect. Because Jesus is the true word of God. So if we think about this, guys, I'm just, I'm just writing what they thought. The Latin Vulgate was a bad translation from Greek to Latin, and then the King James was translated out of a bad translation. So do what you want with that. Right? So here's Jerome, the guy who did the bad translation. <laughs> but he, he's still a pretty good guy. So it says, quote, When the psalmist says, Your enemies, O God, shall perish, every man who has been your enemy shall hereafter be made your friend. The man shall not perish, the enemy shall perish. Let me read that one again. That's pretty big. Your enemies, O God, shall perish, not man. It says, Every man who has been your enemy shall thereafter be made your friend. The man shall not perish, the enemy shall perish, end quote. Isn't that good? You want me to read some more? Uh, let's see. Um, here's Chrysostom, 480, trained in the school of Antioch, a pupil of Diodorus of Tarsus. It says, uh, he sanctioned prayers for the dead and the non-repentant. Most guys grew up, like, I grew up going to catechism until I was 18. Um, all the church fathers thought you could pray for the dead. That was accepted doctrine. That's what the president of the ecumenical council taught. But what were you and I taught? Rotisserie. 
right? Eternal torture, because even though we can only see dimly, we, he had to go burn us, because he loves us so much. Strange, actually. Um, Chrysostom, here's what he wrote. Quote, it was needful that God reconcile them perfectly so that they should never again become his enemies. If punishment were an evil to those who sin, God would have never added evil to evil, unquote. See, they all believe that hell was corrective. Um, Let's see, what else? What, let me get some more here. Uh, da, 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 da. Arrhenius, 180, 180 AD. So Christ will come at the end of times in order to annul everything evil and to reconcile again all things that there be an end of all impurities, unquote. Uh, Jerome, again, uh, quote, fire is God's last medicine for the 10 tribes and for the heretics and for all sinners. When the divine fire shall have burned up all that is vilest in them, they themselves shall be delivered as a brand snatched from the burning, unquote. Isn't that beautiful, actually? So it wasn't going to be peaches and roses, but they, th- this fits so much better to me, that he's an unconditional loving father. Any of you that are mothers, fathers, um, I, and I could go, there's quote after quote after quote. They, they did a really good job sourcing some of this stuff. And then here's, here's Augustine. So here's what happens, this lie of separation. When was the first death? When was the first murder in the Bible? Cain and Abel, right? Did God murder Cain or Abel, right? No, who, it's clear. Where does murder come from? Man, the works of the flesh. When I, when I have this fear of separation, religion's going to cause me to get angry because I can never get there. And the works of the flesh is what it says in Galatians. Paul writes as murder, anger, strife, etc. But the fruit of the Spirit is peace, love, joy, self-control. Right? You guys get this? God's not the murderer. He never is. He's life in the resurrection. He killed no one. He can't. He's unconditional love. So we've got to get this idea that he's angry and, and, and uh, all this stuff out of him. So this idea of separation, that was Cain and Abel. Felt separated, right? Got angry. Um, man... I'm doing all the religious works. I did the work, right? What did he bring to God? His own work. His labor, fruits of the field, right? And what did Abel bring? The lamb. And God accepted the lamb but didn't accept his own works. And what did Abel do or Cain do? Nourished his teeth and killed Abel. Isn't that exactly what we did to Jesus? Yeah, Jesus goes, you know what, forgive me. So let's read Augustine real quick because he was, he was really the, the, well, to Turlingen too, let me read this and then we'll, I'll, we'll just share it. We'll wrap this thing up. So uh, here's Dr. Ken Vincent, retired psychology professor from Houston Community College, the author of over 100 books in the fields of psychology and religion, writes, the first person, quote, the first person to write about eternal hell was the Latin or the Western Church, North African Tertullian, 160 to 220 A.D., who was considered the father of the Latin church. The Eastern church was Alexandria, Egypt, etc. Latin church was basically out of Rome, um, where most of us were brought up in. As most people reason, hell is a place for people you don't like. Tertullian fantasized that not only the wicked would be in hell, but also the, every philosopher and every theologian who ever argued with him. Doesn't that sound like most Christians today? Doesn't it sound like it, though? If they didn't say the magic words before they died, what happened? You better not teach that God's going to cleanse them. Isn't that exactly what they do? Why? Because they still, their heart's not settled yet that, oh, 
the gospel is so beautiful, let's share it with people. Because it's still us versus them. I'm trying to get them in because they believe this lie of separation that they're outside of God and I got to get them in. Get them saved. Isn't that what we heard? Doesn't it set up a weird dynamic? I've shared a lot with you guys about my... Uh, is that you, Jonathan? I got the lights. Is that you? Yeah, we're driving up to the Nuggets game. I was sharing with you about my Muslim friend. And all the Christians like, did you get them saved? I go, no, man. You, got, you guys would have got your head cut off by all these Muslims. They actually like me. They do. They, it, it, you know, it's fascinating because he's the guy... He's the guy who I was telling these guys, um, they're, they're beautiful people. I keep telling you about them. I've got to get them down to my house, one of these fellowships. He's the guy that uh, when they do the pilgrimage in Saudi Arabia, his crews film it. It's his company that broadcasts it to the Muslim world. And you look at this guy, you look at him and his, his family, etc., and you see the love of God actually flowing through this guy. He would love all of you guys, honestly. He loves his kids. His kids are beautiful. How can that be? See, I always had this dilemma because I didn't know that God was in him. I'm like, how is the life of God trying to show through this man because he's in and through and holds everything? Now, is, he, is his theology wrong? Yeah, but it looks a lot like a Christian. They're both trying to get people in, isn't it? And so I'm not trying to do any of that. I'm just trying to love them. And guess what? They invite me into the house and don't cut the head off, even though I'm around with all the old Muslim guys that you would think they, they kind of look the, the part. They got beards and, you know, Allahu Akbar. And then you guys be praying in tongues. I'm just sitting there hanging out, just not eating pork. So uh, where are we? Uh, oh, yeah, so here's Tertullian. Tertullian fantasized that not only wicked would be in hell, but also every philosopher and theologian who ever argued with him. He envisioned a time when he would look down from heaven at these people at hell and laugh with glee. Out of the six theological schools in Tertullian's day, 170 AD through 430 AD, the only school that taught the doctrine of eternal hell to its students was the Latin or Roman school in Carthage, Africa. Four out of the five taught through the death and resurrection of Christ, all would be saved through restorative judgment and reconciliation in the plan of the eons, the ages. So was there a hell? Yes, but it was never to separate you eternally from God. Because even in Psalms we read, David said, even when I descend to hell, where is he? You were there with me, Lord. Right? So it's the lie of separation where we get all these weird doctrines. And so, because they go, you're a universalist. You're going, so everybody's in Christ. That means everybody in heaven? No, I'm just saying that you can never be separated from him because scripture can't say it. Now, whether you're going to, do this the hard way or the easy way, I don't know. Whether you're going to go through the fire or not, I don't know. But it says even that, the judgment, is in the presence of the Lamb and the holy angels. So it cannot be eternal separation from God. Scripture says that. You guys get this? So I'm not saying, uh, I'm not a, a, a wacko universalist that, hey, uh, do these guys, gonna, are, are they going to need their, their, their thinking corrected? Yes. Yes. Yeah, because they don't, they don't realize Jesus is the only way. So, sorry guys, I keep getting this caught on here. So I'll make sure not to wear this again. The only school that taught the doctrine of eternal hell to his students was the Latin or Roman school in Carthage. Four of the other five taught through the death and resurrection of Christ. All would be saved through restorative judgment and reconciliation in the plan of the ages. As earlier mentioned, this teaching was called universal reconciliation. By far the main person responsible for making hell eternal in the Western church was St. Augustine. Augustine was made Bishop of Hippo in North Africa. He did not know Greek. He tried to study it, but stated that he hated it. Sadly, it is his misunderstanding of Greek that cemented the concept of eternal hell in the Western church. Augustine not only said that hell was eternal for the wicked, but also for anyone who wasn't a Christian. 
So complete was his concept of God's exclusion of non-Christians that he considered unbaptized babies as damned. When those babies died, Augustine softened slightly to declare that they would be sent to an upper level of hell, <clears throat> or hell light, known as purgatory, which he developed to accommodate some of the other verses in the Bible. Augustine acknowledged the, the, the universal reconcilius, who he called tender-hearted, and including them among the Orthodox. Orthodox means standard teaching. So, that interesting? So don't get mad at me. I'm just reading you what the... You can go... The, guys, it's quote after quote after quote. Three, four hundred years. Hell was restorative so that God could have a chance to purify them in his presence. And hopefully, love never fails. Does scripture say love never fails? Except for billions of people. But that's not what the church fathers taught. So you do what you want with that, okay? I love sharing the goodness of God that he's in and through and you have nothing to worry about. You're going to meet Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. He loves all. Now we don't have to have these weird theologies that, like that, that's just sick, isn't it? If a stillborn baby or a baby that was aborted, we, none of us, can any of you send them to eternal torture? So what you're telling me is you're more compassionate than the guy who keeps no record of wrong as the unconditional lover of humanity. Because he can. That's just hard for me to swallow. It really is. It's a lot easier for me. The scriptures just line up to me. And you read the church fathers and go, man, this makes sense to me. Does that make sense to anybody else? So I'm done with all that. So you can relax and you don't have to call me bad names and all this stuff. It's actually a really beautiful gospel. Wasn't that girl sitting next to me at the Nuggets game, wasn't that beautiful to share with her? It's powerful, isn't it? Did she know Jesus? No, right? She ate way too many brownies. Is that fair to say, Jonathan? <laughs> you were at the Nuggets game. What day was that? <laughs> I was telling my wife about it. I said, sweetie, I really could have used you. Because this, this poor girl, she comes in and she's wasted, like really wasted. Like, uh, she's like, oh, we were at the bar. I didn't even know we were going to come to the game. Then I ate some brownies and smoked. And, and she, she was just out to lunch, you know? And I'm like, I'm going to share the love of God with this girl. And it's beautiful, actually. They accept it. So they, they're like, here's what, you, here's what you find. This is really awesome, is that you don't have to say Jesus. You don't have to say God and anything like this. We just talked with her, didn't we? But did she feel loved by the end of the night? She honestly did. And that, so I was telling... Uh, uh, I was telling my friend Kevin next to me, I said, bro, watch this. I'm going to let her spill her guts and do all this stuff and share all this stuff with me, and then I'm going to tell her I'm a pastor. <laughs> and I, here's what always happens. They're like, oh, I'm sorry. I go, no, no, I love you. It's, it's fine. I just wanted to see your response, you know? And uh, she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, no, no, no. I said, Jesus loves you perfectly. She said, well, I'm not really into that. And if you ask them, hey, if you could believe in a God, what would he look like? And you know what they'll describe to a T? Jesus. Because he pours out his spirit on all flesh. All will know me from the least to the greatest. They all know him. So it's not that they haven't accepted Christ. They've just accepted the crappy gospel that the church has been teaching them for 2,000 years. They go, if that's God, I can't accept that God. But they all know him. It's really fascinating. Is that a fair statement by the end? She, she loved it. She's just like, you guys are cool. I love you guys. And that's all we, we just really shared the love of Christ with them. And uh, I didn't get him in. I shared the gospel with them that the good news that they're in Christ, he loves her perfectly despite all the messes she's getting herself into right now and some of the bad choices. He loves her perfectly and he'll never leave her nor forsake her. She doesn't have to be fearful that God's not going to bless her. And I'm telling you, it's the easiest thing in the world for the, the world to accept that gospel. 
Now, I would not share that except that it works. I'm not light on sin, guys. I get it. This, it's, the, it it's destroying her life right now. But if I come at her and go, and you got to stop doing that, how good is she going to feel? She's already running from God. I need to get her to tell her about who God really is so she can turn to him and go, man, come boldly to his throne and what she's going to find there. Mercy and grace. And so if we take Romans, we're supposed to share the gospel of what? You guys know? We're ambassadors for him. And we're supposed to, gospel is what? Good news. We're supposed to share the good news of what? Reconciliation. Are we supposed to talk about go to hell if you don't say the magic words? Nowhere in scripture will you find that. Did Jesus ever do it? See, I just think love never fails. Fear and torment causes them to separate from God like Adam and Eve. That's where eating from the wrong tree. So we just got to keep sharing the unconditional love of Jesus Christ and sometimes use words. Just relate to these people like we did. It's like, you know what? You're a beautiful young girl. So what do you want to do with your life? We just communicated with her. And you know what? She just needs somebody to care about her. That's really all that was going on. And uh, although I was like, you know what, Jonathan, if she starts hitting on me, you're sitting next to her because I can't have it because she was a little not quite right. So anyway, uh, she started telling me about her Fat Tuesday beads. I got, uh-oh, this could get really ugly in a hurry. And so I said, if she starts talking about her beads, you're sitting next to her, man. I can't have a picture of me next to her. <laughs> But we've all been there. Maybe not to that extent, but we've all been there. We need somebody to share the unconditional favor of Jesus. So does this help you guys? All right, let's get to this last slide. All right. Okay, you can get to your feet. Um, see, the new covenant is supposed to be about assurance, guys. It's, it's never supposed to, the good news is never supposed to be shared with this concept of fear of hell, right? Especially if we read the founding fathers. It's just not that. It's not that. But even it says, one, or 1 John, where it says, if you still are trying to teach this concept of fear, which has torment, you're not complete in love. Because love casts out what? All fear. All fear. They're the two trees. They don't mix, guys. The two trees don't mix. One causes, the idea of separation causes fear. The idea of, of union, where he loves me perfectly, he's, did, he's done everything. That I've been completely favored, blessed, healed from the foundation of the world. The works were completed before I had any idea who I was. He knew, he did all of that before he even created me in the womb. And you, that's what he's, that's the gospel. Isn't that cool? So Christ conquered sin and death and gave us assurance that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And that's what I was trying to share with this young girl. Because I bet she feels a little guilty, don't you think? Especially when I told her I was a pastor. Which is sad to me because her perception of that is going to be, oh no, he's going to judge me. Right? that's sad and she's pretty accurate for 99 percent of the churches unfortunately we were just trying to give her assurance that she's okay that jesus loves her perfectly he's going to take care of her nothing she's ever done is going to stop the favor of god in her life because all things work together for good well you talk about pastors preach against that holy smokes so the lie of separation brings fear we saw that right and so I'm just trying to get you guys to understand he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, he always blesses you. So we're with union with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect love and shalom. Doesn't shalom just have a beautiful ring to it more than peace because peace has been used too much. It's shalom. That shalom, to a Jewish mind, that meant it's okay in every area of my life. Finances, health, etc. You have the shalom of Jesus. Right? 
And if it doesn't look that way of areas in life, we all have different areas of our life that are not there. Don't beat yourself up over it, guys. It's just darkness that we can't see that he unconditionally loves and favors us in those areas. We still are carrying some guilt or shame there. And don't beat yourself up over it. That's what I see. Because we all have different issues that we're still dealing with. Just ask the Holy Spirit to shed his unconditional love and light in that area of your heart. Because everything you're asking for has already been done before the foundation of the world. And now it's just surround yourself, envelope yourself with that truth until you can feel it here in your heart and then you have it. Does that make sense? I'll probably, I'll probably teach this for the next couple of weeks, just prayer, because I think uh, it's so much easier than what most of you guys have been taught and it's really a beautiful, intimate thing rather than this stressful, in Jesus' name, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's just not that. It's this intimate... I mean, if you can, to me, the easiest way to do this is go, I'm a dad, or if you're a dad or a mom, would I treat my kids this way? Or if you're married, would I treat my wife this way? Sweetie, sell it, yay. In Mike's name, really loud. <laughs> so good. Well, I don't know who, I can't see, the lights are too bright, but that's about right. That's how we make Jesus and the prayer out to be. Is that goofy? I'm trying to be intimate with my wife. In Mike's name! That's why prayer's taught. Like you, th- you think the non-believers think we're loony. They have every reason to think we're loony. Because they don't want that. They want an unconditional love and intimacy, etc. I go, we've got to show them what it looks like. That's what I believe, right? You should, you, should, you should participate in lifestyle evangelism all the time. All the time. So then they go, man. That's why I've, I've shared with a lot of you guys. The greatest compliment to me, honestly, is they go, I never knew you were a Christian. Praise God, man. I love that, actually. Yeah. It literally means anything in his surname. You don't have to yell Jesus at the end of the deal. It's, you're missing it completely. In fact, as I'll, probably the next couple of weeks, I'll show you that prayer to them was really the feeling that everything that I, I need, I'm already enveloped in. It wasn't using words. Isn't that powerful? So that's probably like, I'm asking God, I'm asking God, but it's not happening. No, envelop yourself with the truth that it's already done until you can actually feel it. And then it's done. Even though it's done from the foundation of the world, but it becomes tangible and real to you. Does that help? So, all right, let's, let's finish this deal. <sighs> Everything you're ever going to need, he's already provided. You don't need to beg him. It's already done. So, Father, we love you, we praise you, we magnify you. Oh, just let the truth get into their heart that... You love them unconditionally. You've never separated yourself. Every promise is the exact opposite of that. That you'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. We can be confident that every promise is yes and amen. We have assurance that we're in, through, and held together by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, we just thank you that anything they require, whether it's health, whether it's finances, whether it's joy, whether it's restoration, that's who you are. You're the redeemer. You're the restorer. You're salvation. You're the near kinsman. You're every type and shadow that scripture talks about, you're it. And that promise is yes and amen in you. So Father, we thank you that they've already been healed from the foundation of the world. Just let that truth envelope them. They don't need to beg you. Let them see themselves already divinely healed in perfect love, perfect forgiveness. Father, we thank you that you restore marriages, you restore relationships. Let them see 
that restored relationship already done because you completed those works before the foundation of the world. Father, let them get a revelation that they can be like the lilies of the field. They don't toil, they don't spin, they don't do anything, and you lavishly and abundantly supply them. That's the new covenant. It can't be broken. That's who you are in Jesus' magnificent name. Amen, amen, amen. Amen.